I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, this wild season continues for the Tampa Bay Rays. They win their wild card playoff game in Oakland 5-1 over the A's. Yandy Diaz, who had only played one game in the past two months, that came on Sunday, he let off the game with a home run to right and then did it again in his next at bat. In fact, the race hit four home runs, including blast by Avicel Garcia and Tommy Pham, and that was enough for Charlie Morton, who didn't have his best stuff but worked out of a bases loaded jam in the first almost every other inning as well with a couple of double plays. He goes five innings for the win in the bullpen. Well, they were lights out. And the Rays are moving on to the AL Divisional Series Friday against the Astros in Houston. We'll break down the Rays' wild card game and the Tampa Bay Lightning begin their season of redemption. They host the Florida Panthers tonight at Amelie Arena, new start time at 7 p.m. You'll hear from Bolt's radio play-by-play voice, Dave Mishkin, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, if uh, you're like me, it's still hot out there, and my electric bill continues to go up because i got the air running all the time, and it's really just too much. So if you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bill. Listen to me now. May Electric Solar. It's a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like many other solar companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. They have a full showroom that's open weekdays so you can see their products. Now, May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and their peers. Now, there's a lot of other companies out there trying to imitate them and use their great name. But remember, they don't subcontract to any other company, uh, and they do not use subcontractors themselves. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. All right, Steve, if I had told you that a team was going to hit four home runs in this wild card playoff game and that Charlie Morton would load the bases and struggle with his control, only managed to go five innings, I think you'd probably pick the other guys. I, I did not, I got to admit, I did not see this coming. And nobody could have seen Yandy Diaz, who hadn't played but just maybe one time in the past two months with that foot fracture, be the star of the game. He let off the game with a home run, and that was so key to jump out in front. Next time at bat, same pitch, same result. It was, uh, you know, it was the Bash Brothers out there, and the Rays, their pitching, their bullpen was just lights out. Couldn't have looked any better. I'll tell you what, this team is moving on, and I didn't know or wasn't really expecting them necessarily to win this game in front of 50,000 fans at Oakland. Uh, but you know what? They took the crowd out of it early, and then they won the, the way they've been winning really the last couple of months with just lights out pitching. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get home runs in each of the first three innings, and, you know, the Rays were 21st in baseball in home runs this year, and and they mm-hmm. hit quite a few for their franchise, but you wouldn't have expected them to have the four home runs in this game. Mm-mm. But credit to the pitchers, Charlie Morton, Diego Castillo, who pitched two innings I thought was really good. Nick Anderson has just been incredible for the Rays. Amelia Pagan yeah. was good. 
even though they were giving up base runners nearly every inning, they weren't, they weren't, it wasn't like they were, you know, keeping them off the base pass, but they, they didn't let them get multiple, you know, multiple base runners too often and, and get any momentum built in innings outside the, the one when they had the air, uh, Mike yeah. Rosso with the throwing air that led to, you know, a sack fly that scored, scored their, their only run. But the, the pitching staff managed the game wonderfully. And, and and I thought Kevin Cash did a pretty good. I didn't like pinch hitting for Duffy. That's the one move I'll. And I I I just didn't like that move. You're up four nothing. Keep the better defender in. I'd rather yeah. ke- kept Duffy at third. Mm-hmm. But I understand you're trying for a run. But it was two outs with the runner on second. You were already up four runs. It, had there been zero or one outs, then maybe I see the pinch hitting thing. Two outs, I didn't. But beyond that, the pitching staff was incredible. Um, and, and just the way they attacked Oakland and, and, you know, I watched, I didn't watch the main ESPN broadcast. I watched a lot of the Statcast one, which they did on ESPN too, with Jason okay. Benetti, uh, Eduardo Perez and, um, uh, Mike, uh, Petrello. And I thought that was really well done. I liked, I liked that broadcast better than the main one with A-Rod and Viscursion and, and Jessica Mendoza. Uh, I just I thought the stats one I, I, initially I thought maybe it was going to be a little too deep into saber metrics and analytics, but it really wasn't. They just kind of played with the game and whatever kind of situation came up, they would show you kind of some of the stats and the hitters and and they broke it down really well. Actually, it was a really well done broadcast. But they didn't. They kept talking about how the Tampa Bay pitching staff was attacking attacking Oakland to where we're going to take away your strength. You got to prove you can beat us with your weakness. If if this hitter likes it this way, we're not going to pitch you that way. We're gonna we're gonna make you prove you can do it a different way. And Oakland couldn't tonight. Oh yeah, I mean Diaz was facing guys that struggled with the breaking ball. He threw six in a row. I mean he did not give in. They didn't give in to any hitters. I go back to Morton because you know we know that he's pitched in the biggest moment you can pitch in, right? I mean mm-hmm. Game Seven of a World Series, he comes in and throws five innings uh, and, and gets you know gets that win. Closes it out for the Houston Astros a few years ago, but admittedly, you know, I thought it was interesting during the interview after he came out of the game. You know, he he said he had to calm his nerves a little bit. It wasn't, you know, his curveball was all over the place. He was yanking it. Same thing with the fastball. But in the big moments when he had to come up with a pitch, he did it time and time and time again. And I'm telling you, that guy is as good a big game pitcher as there is in that environment. In that situation, was it rattled by Brasso's, you know, three base error? Boy, the ball found Brasso, by the way, wherever they put him. They put him at first base. <laughs> and then he he does one of these, you know, pirouette things trying to find a pop-up that's up there for about an hour and it still falls in. Um, he could not get out he could get not get out of the way. I was surprised he played the game anyway. I mean, Brasso is not necessarily the guy I thought would be in the starting. Surprised lineup. he made the roster. Yeah, right? Exactly. He hadn't and started so, a game then, since August. I know. It just I mean, I I understand they were trying to get right handed bats and you know, maybe that's what the sabermetric said mm-hmm. uh, you know, that they needed against Manaya who who, you know, left a couple pitches out and over the plate and boy the Rays did not miss them and you know, they kept piling on, they added on to their lead. That was key. But you're right. I mean, I think once Morton, you know, got up uh, of course in you know, the the pitch rate was very high, especially after he wiggled off the hook, you know, in that bases loaded inning and if they get anything in that first inning with a one to nothing lead, you know, immediately Oakland, the crowd is going nuts. Oakland loads the bases. They were one for 15, I think, with runners in scoring position in this game. But if anything falls in, if anything gets across, I think you're talking about a totally different baseball game because it's so hard to win a one game scenario like that on the road. And really, the wild card game is like a game seven 
Um, it's, you know, win or go home. And, you know, the A's certainly had a chance to see some momentum there. But credit Charlie Morton, man, when he had to have the big pitches, he got him. And then the bullpen picked it up from there. And it was a, a perfect formula for Kevin Cash, you know, the way he would have hoped and, and would have drawn it up if he could. And now, you know, this Rays team, I mean, we know how dominant the Houston Astros are with their starting pitching in particular. But you go back to the start of the regular season, and I know playoffs are different, but, you know, this is this is probably the best team in baseball they're playing. But the Rays did take three out of four. Um, they played the Astros very tough this year. They played them tough a year ago, I think. So, you know, with a little bit of wind in their sails, um, certainly they played well on the road all year. And I thought it was important too, Steve. They got through this game without having to use Tyler Glass now, who was up and ready to pitch if they needed him in this ball game. They didn't use Blake Snell either. That's correct. So you know that gives you some options for Friday. But going back to Charlie Morton, and, and really that's been the story of his season. He's been he's been a, incredible this year, and you mm-hmm. know the Rays have, have gotten everything they wanted out of him when they signed him. Absolutely. But he has not had a lot of clean games. No. He works his way out of jams as well as anyone in baseball. And I think that's part of being a veteran and part of, you know, playing on some of the biggest stages that he's played on, you know, winning game seven and, you know, walking off on a World Series. That, you know, even if he gets the bases loaded in the first inning or puts two on and nobody out, he has a way of working through that. And, and more often than not, there's not a lot of damage done or he minimizes it. And, and that's what he's done all year. And he did it again tonight. And, and you're right. If Oakland gets a run or two in that first inning, it's a different ball game. The crowd, Absolutely. the energy that Oakland had, you know, because look, it's it's one nothing. They they don't get anything, so they don't get to answer the the home run that Diaz has. So it's one nothing, and then the Rays put a two run home run up by Garcia Attack in the second. On. So all of a sudden, now by the time Oakland gets up to bat the second time, it's three nothing. That's completely yeah. different. You yeah, know, that, and that that early lead they jumped to, and Oakland failing to score in that first inning completely changed the game. Yeah, and I think it's so important, I mean, in any game, probably any sport, but especially in a one-game scenario in baseball, that, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. You're playing at home. We, we remember, you know, the Rays going through it in the World Series uh, when they were playing the Phillies at home and, you know, weren't able to get much done there. But the expectations are high, and you have to get a lead if you're a, the road team in that scenario. Otherwise, you invite that crowd, and that, that is a real thing. You know, that momentum can be felt by those players and especially the guy on the mound holding the baseball trying to throw strikes. So it certainly helped to take them out of it early. And you're right, the second home run gave them a little breathing room. But you know, when, when Charlie was able to work out of that bases loaded jam, the only thing was you knew because his pitch count was so high that he wasn't going to go very deep in the game. I'm sure they would have loved to have gotten six innings from him. Um, but, man, the bullpen was, was just stellar. Um, you know, especially Diego Castillo, and he, he got, you know, six really large outs. And, um, you know, this is what you've expected, you know, from the Rays pretty much all year. They're a pitching and defensive team. And there wasn't even really – Steve, there wasn't even loud contact. I mean, I don't remember mm-hmm. any balls struck very well. I think the, the hardest ball they hit all night was like 95 miles an hour, uh, which is not, you know, extraordinary uh, mm-hmm. in the major leagues. So they were making bad contact even when they did put the ball in play. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's why the pitching staff was making Oakland do what they didn't want to do. That they took away their strengths and said, "You can hit the fastball. Here's a here's a whole bunch of sliders. Right. Pro- prove it. Prove that prove that you can hit that." And you know that's what they did all night. They played the matchups and they played it. They played it, the pitching staff played it to a T. Absolutely. And so now the Rays are moving on and they go to they go to Houston. Um, 
by any measure now, you know, making the playoffs for the first time in six years was quite an accomplishment. The 96 wins, now 97, unbelievable right there, especially when you combine it with the 90 wins they had a year ago when they missed the postseason. But now you're in the American League Divisional Series. You are just one series away or three wins away, really, um, from playing to go to a World Series, playing in an AL Championship Series. And that uh, that is really, you know, high you know, high praise for a Rays team that, what, only a couple of years ago, most of these guys weren't here. I mean, this is a team that's been, uh, you know, assembled from all sorts of parts with the most trades in baseball, the lowest payroll in baseball. No one expects them to be here, and yet here they are. And for the baseball establishment, this has to just gull people to no end, right? That here are the Tampa Bay Rays going up, going up against these enormous payrolls. Look, the Astros a few years ago gutted their team and, you know, the whole tanking thing, but now they spend tons of money uh, on their pitching staff and other players that they have there. Um, it's now, you know, certainly one of the one of the higher payroll teams, I would imagine. Um, but you, you just have to love what, the, you know, the Rays have assembled here and how they know how to work the pieces. I mean, every possible shift, every possible angle they can work. The lineup's changing all the time. The, you know, their decision to hold players back, um, start, you know, start the matchups. It's all about the matchups, and it comes through time and time again. So, you know, what a, what a season that is now going to continue at least for three more games um, that Rays fans can enjoy. And, and, you know, for Rays fans, you hope they come back with maybe at least a split in Houston for, you know, a chance to, to do something in the series when they get back to Tropicana Field. Well, not just what a season, but really what a four-year run, really. I mean, since – and this is year five of Eric Neander, Bloom, Kevin Cash sure. and that. But, you know, when Andrew Friedman left, the farm system was not in a good position. They didn't have a kind. lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> it was really, terrible. It, it was. I mean, <laughs> Andrew, was. Andrew Friedman, as good as he was at finding those big league players that yeah. you could tweak a little bit, put them in the right position, and they would excel on the field. Mm-hmm. They were not good at drafting and developing players. No. And the, you know, Andrew Friedman gets a lot of credit for building the race farm system, but that was built by his predecessors. They just came to the big leagues while he was the GM. That's true. And, and, and like I said, Friedman had, you know, he did a great job finding guys like Jeff Keppinger and others that did nothing anywhere else, had career years here, go elsewhere and do nothing again. They were masters at that. And, and the Rays still do that quite well. I mean, Travis Darno, you, you know, start naming it. Mm-hmm. But what they've done to build this farm system, trade away a lot of very good players, and to the point where fans and and you and I thought they were possibly tanking except they weren't sure. you know they, they were they were building it and and through uh, you know they showed the graphic tonight that 69% of the raised players were acquired through trade that's the most in baseball yeah Oakland second 64 and those are the two most sabermetric moneyball type esque teams that they run and they go mm-hmm. they find players and and they're not afraid to trade a, a, a bigger player that is good, but maybe doesn't have as much ceiling as to go get another player. For instance, trading Jake Bowers for Yandy Diaz. You know, Jake Bowers was supposed to be the future of this team at first base. They saw yeah. something in Yandy Diaz they really liked. They traded Bowers, and I think they gave Indians some money even for him mm-hmm. to get him because they saw something they really liked. They're not afraid to make those moves. A lot of teams wouldn't make that move. The Rays saw something, took a chance. And a lot of times it works out because they do their homework and they know what they're looking for. And it's, so it's not just a great season. It's been a great four-year building process for this team. 
And kudos to, you know, everyone in the front office, Kevin Cash, and the players themselves who have all bought in. From the opener strategy to everything that the Rays are doing, this team has bought into it. And that's why they're successful. And look, Houston, I think, is the best team in baseball. And they're going to get to face Verlander, Cole, and Granke for games one, two, and three of the ALDS. But the Rays are a scary, you know, and, and the announcers kept saying it tonight, too. The Rays match up with anyone better than anyone in baseball, really. They use their 25-man roster. They have so much versatility and so much utility on that on the 25-man roster that they can they can massage things throughout games in that to really match up pretty well. Now, can you beat Verlander, Granke, and Cole? Three straight games or, you know, three out of five? We'll see. I think it's a, it's a tough task, but, you know, the Rays have surprised people for years now. And, you know, they, they played Houston pretty well this year, as you mentioned. Granted, some of it was the first four games of the year, but they took three or four. Right. You know, the only game you lost was Snell pitching, which that surprised you to Verlander. He gave up, what was it, five runs in the first game? Mm-hmm. And then they shut Houston down after that. They went to Houston and, and I think, what, took two of three or lost two of three. One out of, one out of three, yeah. yeah. They won one yeah. out of three, yeah. And Houston dominated a little bit. But, you know, I, I think this Rays team is playing better baseball right now than they were at that point, so. I think it's it's going to be a good series. It's going to be interesting. Um, you know, it's always curious how teams react after having a week off, which is what Houston has essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all the teams at this at this stage, you always kind of wonder how that can affect them too in the first game, mm-hmm. and you might be able to jump on them early then too. Well, I mean, it's it's not quite like football, but a lot of times, since you're the only game on TV, people get a big bump right when they win a win a game um, like the Rays did over the A's, and and suddenly. They're the hot team. But you know what? They are a hot team. They've been winning for over a month now just to get themselves in this position. Having said that, you know, they've also got to tackle one of the best lineups over there in Houston as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they will be tested much more. The thing about Oakland, and, and you can't really – I don't know if you can in other, other you know, sports, but in, I'll tell you what, in baseball, you can't flip a switch. The Oakland A's were in a slump. They were in a team collective slump offensively, and it continued. Uh, there wasn't anybody really that was very hot for Oakland coming into this series or really even going into their last series against Seattle. And they their bats were flat, and then when you ran into some really good pitching, they just weren't able to put anything together. They they had runners in scoring position or on base almost every inning, um, but they, they had weak contact. They hit in a bunch of double plays. No balls hit really that hard or that far. Uh, and so, you know, they just weren't able to get it going, and sometimes that happens. But if you look at the Rays going into the Houston series, and, of course, great pitching can shut out good hitting any day, and Houston is loaded with the pitchers you just mentioned, but they're playing good baseball. They're playing really well, and they've mm-hmm. been hitting. They've been scoring runs. They've been playing good defense. Um, Kevin Cash has, uh, you know, been masterful uh, with help from the front office, you know, mixing and matching and uh, creating those advantages that they've that they've. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Add. Um, and, you know, look, if Yandy Diaz can suddenly reappear in that lineup like he did um, certainly against Oakland or anything, any facsimile of that, 
they'll take it. They'll be very happy to take it. You know, they might have to sacrifice some defense at first base at, at times. We'll see. Um, but the versatility they have is tremendous. I mean, even the play late in the game when Brasso moved to first, the, you know, that Joey Wendell made with two outs was was a critical, critical play. I mean, they, they just have so much versatility and so many guys that can come in and do a good job with the gloves uh, and, of course, the pitching. So it, it was an impressive and a complete victory. I mean, this was this was not a fluke. This, this was an absolute beatdown, and the Rays got to feel really good about themselves going into Houston on Friday. So the Rays will play game one of the AL Divisional Series in Houston at Minute Maid Park. That'll be 2 p.m. on Friday. And then at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday will be game two. I had a chance to go to a one-buck place. Uh, Jameis Winston, by the way, was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Of course, he had the big game, 385 yards passing, four touchdowns, one interception in that 55 to 40 win over the Los Angeles Rams. So that's his second NFC Player of the Week award in his career. And also good news for Bucks fans, linebacker Devin White. Remember he had the uh, strained MCL ligament that he missed the last two games with. Uh, he returned to practice and should be good to go against the New Orleans Saints on Sunday back in his old home state of Louisiana. So he was pretty fired up about that. So while I was at One Buck Place, however, Steve had a chance to catch up with Dave Mishkin, the Bolts radio voice, and talk about how the Lightning will rebound from being swept last year in the playoffs by Columbus in four games. And he also broke down the 2019-2020 season. Here's Steve's conversation with Dave Mishkin. All right, Lightning Radio's Dave Mishkin joins us from live from the morning skate on Wednesday. Uh, as the uh, as good news, apparently, Tyler Johnson and Victor Hedman are skating in practice on Wednesday. They had missed a couple practices, so looks like they will be in the game tonight as the Lightning get ready to open the season against the Florida Panthers. And Dave, I, I'll start with, and it's been talked at ad nauseum this offseason, but last season they set a record with 62 wins, and then they get to the playoffs and they get swept in four straight by the Blue Jackets. How does this team turn the page and and live with it, as John Cooper said, but move on and get ready for this season? Well, Steve, I guess you'd hope that they use what happened in April last year in the span of a week as fuel. Uh, it kind of feeds the hunger to, to try and get back there and, and change the narrative this year. The, the hard thing about that is it's six months between now and in the start of the playoffs, and you need to do a lot of good work during the regular season to ensure that you are in the playoffs. We found out in 2016-17 that if you go through a slump, and that team went through a slump midseason, you find yourself so far out, it can be hard to, to rally, and the Lightning missed the playoffs by a point that year. So, look, they're going to be dealing with these questions, the one that you just asked, in every city they go to, at least the first time and maybe multiple times over the course of this regular season. They just have to steal themselves to answer those questions. But, you know, when the puck is dropped and, and the game is being played on the ice, they need to focus on what they need to do each and every night to have success. And I think, you know, the 62 wins last year contained a lot of that. They really didn't get ahead of themselves over the course of that long regular season. They kind of focused on what they needed to do that particular day. We can go back and dissect what went wrong in the playoffs, but it does not erase the fact that, you know, only one other team in NHL history has ever won 62 games in a regular season. So they did a lot right last year, and I think the formula is one that they'll need to, they'll need to use this year as well. Uh, understanding that, you know, you don't need to win 62 to get into the playoffs. 
but you need to do well enough to be in the top 16 to, to make sure you're playing past game 82. Well, and with that, so the roster is, is fairly the same. I mean, they bring back most of that team from last year, but there are a few departures that they have to replace. For instance, on the back end, Dan Girardi and Anton Strawman. Strawman's playing with the Panthers, who's the opponent tonight, and Dan Girardi retired. How, how, big of, how big of a change is that on the back end, losing those two players? You know, it's kind of a sneaky roster turnover because it seems like much of the team is back. But as Julian Breezeblad discussed on the first day of training camp when he met with the media, 25% of last year's roster is turned over. Like you mentioned, Strawman and Girardi. You got Adam Ernie now in Detroit. Ryan Callahan, you know, not able to play anymore. You add them all up, and, you know, that's 25%. So, look, sometimes change is not a bad thing. Uh, I think the make of the team maybe looks a little bit different. The fourth line, as it's configured at the start of the year, has Pat Maroon and Luke Witkowski on it. That's a lot of beef and a lot of physical play, uh, toughness, and you know the ability to stand up for teammates. Uh, I think that on defense, you know Kevin Shattenkirk brings a different component maybe than than either of the guys that that left last year, Girardi and Strawman, no longer with the team. So, you know, every year is different. You're not going to bring back the exact same team year in, year out. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. So, you know, the new guys seem to have fit in quite well, not to mention the guys who have, you know, kind of pushed their way onto the lineup, the the Carter Hagees and the Jamel Smith, and Witkowski, too, who maybe wasn't an odds-on favorite to, to make the opening night roster, but had a terrific camp and showed his versatility. He can play either forward or defense, and, uh, and earned a spot. So good for him. Um, but I think based on what we saw in the preseason, all of these guys have shown that they deserve to be here, and they've done quite well to this point to earn a spot on the roster. You mentioned that fourth line, and with Pat Maroon and Luke Wikowski being additions to the team, was that a conscious decision of seeing some of the playoff teams last year, particularly St. Louis and some of the teams they face, that have a little more – beef or as you put it or grit or a little more just bulk I guess I don't know I mean I think the Lightning had a pretty good mix of players vying for spots coming into training camp and you know Danik Martell is not necessarily a guy he has a much different physique than Pat Maroon (laughs) clearly and he was in the running for you know fourth line forward um I think a lot went into that loss last year. I think the easy narrative is simply to say, well, they got bigger and and maybe a little tougher. But, you know, let's not forget that, you know, Ryan Callahan plays that sort of game. They lost him this year because of injury problems. You know, J.T. Miller is a power forward. They had to move him due to, you know, cap crunch to create room to to sign some of the players that they ended up signing. So I think that they needed to address some of these departures and Miller was another guy I didn't mention in our earlier, you know, topic about guys who are, who are not on the team this year, who were on last year's club. So I think it's a little bit of a different look. There's no question, but I don't know if it's a knee jerk to, to what happened last year. I think the lightning are still going to be a, a skill team, a speed team. And whether you're Nikita Kucherov or Pat Maroon, you know, you're going to play a game that is an up-tempo game. That's the way the Lightning want to play. Uh, and I think that, you know, they're not going to change their, their DNA completely. But 
having those guys on the fourth line has been a good look, at least in the start of this season in training camp in the preseason. And that's why they're starting the season as the fourth line. You brought up two young guys that pushed their way onto the roster this year. So tell us a little about Carter Verhege and Jamel Smith. Now, Carter Verhege last year led the AHL in scoring at Syracuse. Jamel Smith's got a little bit of NHL experience to him, correct? So Verhege is really vaulted up the depth chart. Uh, they got him, the Lightning traded for him a minor league deal for a minor league, minor league player for minor league player when they traded Christopher Skudlewski's, who mostly was a minor league goalie for the Lightning, and Guy Carter Verhege was in the Highlander system, but, you know, had been bouncing between the American Hockey League and the ECHL his first couple of years in pro hockey. And, you know, his first year in Syracuse was not a breakout year, um, but his second year in Syracuse was. 34 goals and 82 points. His 82 points led the American Hockey League. 34 goals tied with teammate Alex Barry Boulay for the league lead. And based on that sort of season, obviously coming into this year, he had earned a look in training camp, and he made the most of it. He also was going to have to clear waivers, uh, and I think that you know that was a consideration as well. But his biggest improvement, and he mentioned this, when he spoke to the media, he really worked on his skating. And, you know, there's a reason why some guys are in the American Hockey League. <laughs> and it's usually not because they're lacking skill or playmaking ability or uh, a shot. I mean, there's usually one part of their game that they maybe need to improve upon or they need, need to, to become more versatile so they can play in a different way at the NHL level where they're not going to be playing 20 minutes a night, not going to be on the first power play, which they might be at the AHL level. So for Verhege, he only worked on his skating. And it has shown in the preseason that, I mean, he's not going to be the fastest guy in the ice, but his skating has not been a detriment to his game. And because it's not a detriment, he can do some of the other things that are in his wheelhouse, an ability to kind of cut through traffic, uh, to be hard on the puck, He's got a great shot, and we saw that in the goal he scored in Nashville in the preseason. And good for him. I mean, it's a great story for a guy who, you know, was in the low minors just a few years ago, now earning a spot in the NHL, kind of Yanni Gordesque, you know, another, another really you know, great success story. Jamel Smith is a guy who has more NHL experience uh, because he was in the Dallas organization and, and played 80-some-odd games with the Stars. So he knows what it takes to to be on an NHL roster. Um, I think he's shown a hunger to his game. He's got great speed. Uh, He plays with tenacity. He's been a good fit on that fourth line when he's played with with Witkowski and Maroon. And, you know, unfortunately, Cedric Paquette got injured in the final preseason game, but that opened the door for Jamel Smith to, to kind of grab that fourth line center position. And uh, the Lightning were very impressed with, with how he performed during training camp. A little bit different than some of these other guys. Like, Verhege's never played in an NHL game before, right? Like, Martel had only played in a handful of NHL games, even though he was up with the Lightning all last year. Smith has more NHL experience than a lot of the other guys who were competing for spots, maybe with the exception of Witkowski, who's kind of in a different boat because Witkowski can play defense, he can play forward, different type of player maybe than... Ben Smith in terms of his skill set. Um, but Smith made the most of it. You know, he tried to be a difference maker every time he got in the game, and he was. 
So he's going to end up starting the year uh, with the Lightning as well. Another new player we haven't talked about, and, and maybe it was a surprise to a lot of Lightning fans at the end of the season, Curtis McElhaney is signed to be the backup goalie while Louis Domingue is now in Syracuse and the Lightning are looking to trade him. So why the change and what to expect from Curtis as a backup to Andre Vasilevsky? Well, from what it sounds like, Domingue, in a way, was a victim of his own success. He had the long winning streak last year, won, you know, won 20 games, was fantastic when Vasilevsky was injured, you know, in November through December and, you know, had signed a two-year deal before last year. So this was the final year of his contract. And I think the Lightning were expecting that after this year, Deming would earn an opportunity for a bigger contract or a bigger role with another team. And therefore, they needed to protect themselves to get a backup to Vasilevsky at basically the Deming number, the Deming salary number. They didn't feel that any of their prospects were necessarily ready to, to fill that role. They have a lot of goalie prospects, but many of them are you know, still amateurs. They're playing college hockey or whatever. They haven't turned pro yet. So, and also the other component to this, which is a topic for another day, the Lightning have a number of contracts they need to get done next summer. <laughs> Yeah, they've got a bunch of restricted free agents. They're going to need to, to re-sign. Sorelli, Sergachev, Turnak, Joseph. So they didn't need the problem of having to you know, fill the backup goalie position. So McElhinney was coming off a terrific season last year in Carolina where he was kind of a 1A, 1B with Peter Morazic. Um, Lightning liked him. He signed a two-year deal at basically the Deming number. So now the Lightning have a backup locked up through not just this year, but next year as well. So I think that based on what we heard from Julian Breesbaugh, that was, that was kind of the reason for it. The, the unfortunate part for Domingue is the Lightning wanted to, to move him, and they weren't able to. It seems like there's, you know, right now a glut of goalies and, you know, a lack of open spots around the league. That may change as the season gets underway. Guys may get hurt or, you know, teams may be, underwhelmed with, you know, their goalie tandem. They may look to make a change. We'll have to see how it plays out. But unfortunate for Louis Deming that, you know, he had a great year last year and is kind of a victim of circumstances to an extent uh, based on how this all unfolded. Well, we're doing this interview now as the Lightning are getting set to open the, uh, with the Florida Panthers tonight at Amelie Arena. And it's nice that we didn't have to lead off the conversation talking about Braden Point, who has finally signed his as uh, he was a restricted free agent, signed a deal, a three-year bridge deal with the Lightning. So he, he's in camp, but he's hurt right now. He had off-season surgery. Cedric Paquette is also hurt. So that's two of your four centers from a year ago that are going to miss at least some time to start the season. How does that impact the start? Well, let's, let's back it up maybe a little bit and, uh, and state that John Cooper has said this year he wants Tyler Johnson at center. So Johnson, most of last year, in fact, the last couple of years, mm-hmm. was playing wing, you know, because he was playing in a top six role, but the top six centers were Stamkos and Point. Um, so Johnson looks like he's going to be a center this year, and Steven Stamkos, at least at the start of the year, is playing wing. In fact, he's playing left wing on a line with Johnson in the middle and Nikita Kuchoff on right wing. So understanding that Point and Paquette are not available right now, you've got Johnson You've got Anthony Sorelli. You've got Yanni Gord, who is a, you know, his natural position is center, even though he's been used at wing. 
uh, most of his time in the NHL. And you've got Jamel Smith, who we just mentioned. So Smith, in a sense, is, is taking Paquette's spot. And when Braden Point is able to return, all the things being equal, that you know nobody else gets hurt, and you're probably going to see one of those other centermen move to wing. And, you know, Yanni Gord is the guy who, you know, has played the most at wing during his time with the Lightning, so maybe it's him, but we'll see how it all unfolds. But that's how they're handling the point absence and the pocket absence, at least right now. On defense, now, McDonough and Chernak were a tremendous pair. That was your shutdown pair last year. And it, by all indications, it looks like they're going to remain a defensive pairing this year. So the question is, who plays with Hedman? Is it Sergachev? Is it Shattenkirk? Is, you know, who's going to play with Hedman? Is they gonna, are they going to switch it up some? Well, whatever you decide in game one doesn't necessarily need to be the, the pairing that you have in game 30 or 40 or 80 or you know beyond. But at least at the start, it looks like Hedman and Shattenkirk are going to be together. And they've got Sergachev playing the right side with Colburn on the other pair with, you've talked about, McDonough and Chernak. So, you know, Hedman and Shattenkirk played together for a couple of preseason games. Uh, the coaches obviously liked what they saw. But, you know, Shattenkirk can play with Colburn. And they can move Sergachev, you know, onto a, onto a pairing with Hedman if they so choose. I think the Lightning like the flexibility and the versatility that this lineup combination gives them. But at least at the start of the year, it looks like Shattenkirk's going to play that right side with Hedman on the left. Always good to hear from Dave Mishkin. The Lightning will host the Panthers, of course, tonight. That game's at 7 o'clock, a new starting time for all home games at Amelie Arena. The Rays are in Houston. They're preparing for tomorrow night's ALDS game, of course, against the Astros. If you want uh, to go to games three and four, the tickets are now on sale. Uh, for the Rays, that those games, of course, will be at Tropicana Field. And the Bucks continue their preparation for their battle of first place in the NFC South against the New Orleans Saints, which is coming up on Sunday. And tomorrow we're going to have Times College football writer Matt Baker to talk about the Florida-Auburn game, college football game day, coming to Gainesville on Saturday. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more Rays playoff talk tomorrow on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.